Thank you very, very much, Greg. That was a fantastic presentation, very, very timely, very effective. Well, now open the floor up to questions. Um, if you're a brother in the church, please raise your hand. Brother Logan will bring you the mic. Stand and uh, speak loud and clear. Todd Richardson, then Aaron Boone. Well, I want to ask a man who has experience of uh, saddling up the horse and, you know, getting things ready in that respect. So I appreciate Greg very much. And on a personal note, thank you for your guidance and guiding, for example, Cassandra and I and helping other young couples and things like that. I appreciate that. But I've got two questions. Great job. Two questions. Um, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, 39, with regard to widows and, and their loss of their spouse, and then when they remarry, only in the Lord. Do you believe that, that as some believe, uh, that applies to all single Christians, if they're going to marry only in the Lord? Right off, you know, in other words, that's, that's applicable because of being unequally yoked and so forth. Number two... Do parents have a role in seeking a mate for their children? Specific, be specific about that if you would. I'm going to give an example from the Old Testament. Uh, Isaac and Rebekah in Genesis 28, verses 1 and 2, he told Jacob, they told Jacob to go to Padam Aram to go to your Uncle Laban's farm, essentially, and seek a wife. Don't seek of, of Canaanite women. Esau didn't, and later on in verse 7 of Genesis 28 said, he realized that he had disobeyed his father and mother and so decided to go get another wife or two and he went to the land, to Ishmael. So that's my second question. Okay, to your first question, I think that subject is worthy of a much better and greater study specifically on that topic. So let me just go back to where I was. It's like, let's start with the church. Let's start with the church and, and let, let's not step down that road because understand in the Lord's church this very day, there are many single men who would love to be married. There are many single women who would love to be married. They can get together. And no one ever needs to say, there is nobody for me in the Lord's church. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. Because I've seen too many people go to the big meetings like I mentioned, and they will get in their circle and it's like, I know wonderful, wonderful young people that go to a big meeting and here's a young lady of 25 years old seated next to her mother like she's, like she's, like she's got to be protected. And it's like, I, I, I need to disappear here. And it's like, oh, it's just... So I've tried a little matchmaking in my day and my grandkids love that when I try to, <clears throat> when I try to help them. So I... I, I will go so far as to say, let's start with the Lord's people first, because I think that is, that is not guaranteed, but I believe it is the safest. And I think that's what we need to strongly consider when we're choosing somebody that we want to spend the rest of our lives with. But the other topic does need a, a top, uh, it needs a subject of its own. Now, uh, and to the second issue, do parents have a role? Well, you can move to northern India, and yes, you'll have a role. You'll fit right in. Southern India? No, no, you move to southern India and you'll have a role picking a mate. Northern India? Not so much. What you end up doing in your family is probably up to you and your family. Uh, in our culture, it's, it's, not, 
it's not unusual for parents to be involved in getting to know the other parents as quickly as possible so you can determine if there's a meshing of values. But as far as the parents selecting uh, a mate for their kids, I'm sorry, that doesn't fly. Aaron Booth. Not that it shouldn't, <laughs> but it doesn't. Appreciated it. Um, you brought up that chart earlier that mentioned the different aspects of relationships. Yes. And within the dating aspect of it, it brought up these ideas of kiss kissing, uh, touching, caressing. My question for you is, and this is something that I don't know what it was like when you were dating. Uh, oftentimes within my generation, the generation below me, will have relationships for, for gospel meetings. Uh, so we'll date for a meeting and we'll have a girlfriend or a boyfriend for a gospel meeting. How mindful should we be in our relationships of the end goal of marriage as we perform these actions of touching, kissing, and, and uh, caressing? Should marriage always be the goal, or what do you think about those ideas uh, that are going on? Okay, I'm, I'll show you another little excerpt from something I didn't have time to get to. That's, that's a wonderful question. So as we live our lives, as we grow in maturity, we end up having regrets from what we didn't do and didn't know in younger days. So it takes a long time to work out, oh my, I made mistakes when I was this age or that age or this situation or that situation. So what we want to do in prospect is any of those relationships for a meeting, we want to be able to walk away without guilt and look back without guilt in years to come. So I came across this, this book, um, and let me see here if I can find that. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Dating with Integrity by John Holzman. And he uses 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2 as a guide. Rebuke, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. So he said, if we're going to be pure, this is how we treat each other, no matter where we are in our relationships. Therefore, he then gave these statements of personal rules. Rule number one, I will treat people in whom I have no romantic interest no worse than I treat people in whom I do have romantic interest. Now, this, these will be, I, I presume, in what's uh, stored, so you'll be able to look at these again. Rule two, I will treat members of the opposite sex no better then I treat members of my own sex. Rule three, I will do nothing with members of the opposite sex now while we are unmarried that we cannot continue to do in good conscience later after one of the other of us has married someone else. It's like, oh, this just, this gets just, oh my, it's, this just calls for caution. It's like, how do we walk away without guilt? Well, this is a way to do that. Rule number four, I will do nothing with members of the opposite sex now while we are unmarried that I cannot continue to do for the rest of my life with the person I eventually do marry. So he is very insistent on saying, here's what that means. Now, he didn't have this chart, but what he's saying is, look, there are things that need to be reserved for marriage, and I want to make very sure that I am saving what I should for marriage appropriately. So that's, that's all I know to do. It's like, if we're going to date for the meeting, then let's be God's people 
And let's make it clear that we're not there for a conquest. We're not there to walk away leaving uh, regrets with ourselves, undue pressure from young men to young ladies, or undue pressure from young ladies with young men. That was very good. You know, Alan was shocked that they gave, I think what he said was an 85-year-old man <laughs> dating, something like 80, 90, I don't know how, what, what, he, what he's, but that was great. It was Thank very, you. very good. So I have, uh, I have two questions. When I was young, there was a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I think the guy was named uh, Joshua Harris or something like that who wrote it. And I think he's an atheist now. I, I, it, I, he's renounced Christianity. And, uh, but that book was really popular with a lot of church people. And it was a major part of this movement in the evangelical world called purity culture. Uh -huh. And now I just hear everyone speaking about the evils of purity culture. Okay. And I'm not sure really what all purity culture was and whether or not it continues to exist. Is it evil? Is it good? The word purity doesn't seem to have such an evil connotation. But I wondered if you could talk about that and what, how we should view that and the literature that came out of that movement. I have a second question. Would you give it to you now, or? Well, no. You just hang on, because I know nothing about that. Okay. That did not come up in my research. Um, it's hard for the for me to imagine the evangelicals were against anything. So if they are, it must be really bad. So, but I, I, have, I have no idea. <laughs> well, maybe someone else knows more than I do. Yeah. I, I I hear people talk about it. I read about it in articles. It's, it's very evil spoken of. And it evidently had to do with this uh, culture that was built on shaming people and humiliating people and trying to inspire them to purity in that way. But I don't know. Maybe someone else can say more and okay. help that conversation if we need to have it. Sure. So dating is very different from how it was when I was a teenager, too. And when I was a teenager, I didn't have much experience at it anyway. So, uh, I, I meet people though now who are younger than me and sometimes I have the opportunity to be a good Christian influence to them. And what, what should we think of a young man who is supposedly in a relationship with a girl in the church, we'll suppose, but at the same time he's engaged in a whole bunch of of, uh, I don't know what to say, talking or snapping or whatever it is, you know these terms, I think, yeah. with like 20 other girls who all think that he's interested in them and he wants them to think that and I don't think he wants them all to know that the other ones exist. I mean, when I was, a, when I was young, you wouldn't have wanted them to know the other one existed. You know, that would have been the end of it all. Yeah. What, what do we say about that? It just, it seems to me to be an unhealthy way of approaching relationships to say that I'm going to be dishonest with this person. I'm going to be trying to, you know, play the field as much as I can. And I mean, they're not married. I realize it's not adultery, but yeah. 
I'm confused about how I should feel about that and how I should advise people who are in that situation. I'll pause there for effect just for a minute. Anyway. <laughs> okay. We choose who we are. And the lowest of low is to take advantage of innocence and to take advantage of vulnerability. So in the relationship world, as dating occurs, as courtship occurs, it's not just a spending time together, it's a commitment of our hearts. And when our heart gets involved, no matter our intellect, and we are making decisions toward commitment to really thinking highly of this person, we are making ourselves vulnerable, oh so vulnerable. And that's how relationships can progress. That's the only way relationships can progress. Because we say, here's who I am. Can you still like me? Do you still want to spend time with me? Can we, can we spend more time together? And then we go a little bit further and we say, here's some more about me. Here's what you need to understand about me to know where I'm coming from and what I've done. Can you still like me? And when individuals would play with the hearts of others, they're not being an honest person. Now, that never lasts. And how long it lasts is a great debate of conscience. Because whenever I discover stuff like that, it, if, if my grandchildren are involved, oh my. That's hard. It was hard when my children were involved ages ago. But I have the same compassion for everyone's child. And when individuals are the scorpion that are stinging innocent people, that has to be stopped. And how we do that is very, very difficult because we don't give people permission to come up to us and say, hey, your boy is a knothead. We don't give people permission to do that. Or your girl is flirting with 48 million boys at this meeting. We don't give people permission to walk up to us as parents and say that. Yet at the same time, how do we protect our own? How do we protect our innocent children? And how do we protect our hearts? Because we know that there are some really good girls who have been led astray by some really bad boys. And we know that there's been some really good boys who've been led astray by some really bad girls. And when that happens, the only thing I've ever known to do is to say, who has the ear of the parents? Who has the ear? Who has the love-filled, respect-filled relationship with the parents of that young man or that young lady? And then you very quietly and say, you might want to look into this because I understand that this is what's going on. At the same time, when we do that, when we take the courage to do that, we may be saying goodbye to a friendship that we've had all of our life. And what we have to decide is, is it worth it for us to say goodbye to that friendship if the parents of that boy or that girl, that young man or that young woman, 
decide to turn against us instead of helping their child? Are we willing to pay that price? And I am. I am. I'm willing to take somebody aside and say this is going to hurt, but we need to talk. And I guarantee you, had that been done through the decades, those who are older, 85 and above, <laughs> those, those who are older in the church know countless families that would have been saved, needless heartache, had someone had the courage and the love to do just that. That's, that's all I know to do, Clint. Always enjoy hearing you, Greg. Thank you very much. Uh, my wife is very good at meeting new people and talking to people. My, now, my wife's very good at a lot of things, and I want to make sure that's on the record. Um, but she's very good at meeting new people, and what many people might not know is that it does not come naturally to her. She will tell you that. Yeah. It was drilled into her by her mother, shout out to Barb Davis, uh, who was someone who did not grow up in the church. Mm -hmm. And when she started coming to church meetings, did not know people. Mm -hmm. And she was the one who was standing over in the corner yeah. while everyone else was clicked together. And that was hard for her for a long time. Yeah. And so she taught her children, the other ones right behind me, uh -huh. that you talk to people yep. and you meet people. And Liz has to work at it. Yep. It's hard for her sometimes. So I want to say that to encourage everyone um, that it might be hard to do that. Yeah. But it's a skill. And like anything else, it's a skill that with practice, we can get better at doing. Yeah. And so uh, there might be discomfort and awkwardness and all of that. But I think that all of us can improve in finding those people that we see at various places who mm -hmm. don't look like they have any friends to talk to mm -hmm. and reaching out and trying to make those people feel welcome, as you said in your presentation. Now, Liz and I were friends for about two years before we ever started dating. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we were dating, we lived for most of the time we were dating, we lived about four-ish hours apart drive. Uh, but a lot of the time that we knew each other and that we were dating, we lived in an area in California where we could often go to church meetings. And so you talked a lot about how um, you are going to be friends with people that you are around. Mm -hmm. And we were blessed to be able to do that mm -hmm. in, in those formidable years of our lives. But not everyone has that luxury. Yeah. Not everyone lives in places where there are lots of local church meetings where they can go and meet other Christians. Not everybody has the money to be able to travel, to go to those kinds of places. Mm -hmm. So what would you give as advice for people who are in a situation where maybe they live in some far-flung place that's removed from a lot of brethren, or they just can't afford gas and hotel money to go to a lot of meetings to uh, meet people they'd like to do it, they just physically can't for one reason or another. What are some, uh, what's some advice you'd have for them? Okay, so let me get back to a, a more pleasant topic here. Okay. Um, relationships start somewhere. They start with acquaintance. And so to watch someone work a crowd is an amazing thing. And most introverts who are comfortable in a corner observe that and they, they, they see others just 
float through the crowd, meeting everyone, visiting with everyone, talking with everyone. And they think, how do they do that? Well, in some instances, how they do that is they practiced, they practiced, they practiced, they worked, they worked, they worked, and they overcame their discomfort to walk up to somebody and say, hi, I'm Liz. And she could do that from a very early age. And that comfort is not a come on. Now look, just because a young man and a young woman speak to each other doesn't mean it's love across a crowded room. It's just speaking to each other. That's all it is. But we have to start somewhere. Somebody has to go first. Or else we just stand there like the circle of that picture and we never get anywhere with relationship building. COVID has killed us with relationship building. So now we've got a lot to make up for. So we can do that, at, and I mean that in our own home congregations. I'll guarantee you in every congregation that's represented of any size at all, there will be people in the front that never speak to people in the back and vice versa. It just doesn't happen. And if we were to say, how well do you know this person or that person? It's like, well, I see him at church. That's a casual acquaintance. And that's, a, that's it, nothing more. Richard's suggestion of having people over once a month from our congregation, I told Cassie, I, we were going to do that. And I totally forgot about it. If we don't do stuff like that, we can mix, we can mingle. Now, so I, I admire someone who says, I know who I am, and I need to be this person with these activities. That doesn't change Liz's personality. It just says she's willing to drain her energy for the cause of making people feel comfortable wherever she is, because that's what an introvert does. They drain their battery whenever they speak to a lot of people. And that is a, that is a quality to be greatly admired that she's willing to spend and be spent for the kingdom of God's sake. Now, in those places where we have kids who would love to come to meetings, love to go see things, all over the brotherhood, we have people with loads of money. We do. We have folks with loads of money by comparison. It's one of those cases where somebody who has no shoes is a lot worse off than somebody that has one shoe. And they're worse off than somebody that has two shoes that match of the same size. So we look at our situation and say, well, I can't, I can't send kids to a, to a meeting somewhere. I'm not saying send them, I'm saying take them. And so we have people with money that could do that. Why not adopt a child at an old age to take to meetings and you be the one that takes them to the after meeting activities? And it's like, well, that's just kind of silly. Well, I don't know, Philippi chased Paul all over the Roman Empire to give him help, to assist him. And they were willing to do that. And people did that out of their necessity, not necessarily out of their luxuries. We have people that could sponsor helping folks get to places where they can be around people. But I'll guarantee you this, if somebody's going to go to the trouble to pay somebody's way to a big meeting, that person better get there and circulate. <laughs> they, they, they better be able to say, here's the three people I met tonight. <laughs> And it's because if, if you don't mingle with God's people, that means we're spending all of our energy and time getting to know folks that aren't God's people first. So let's, let's change it to a focus 
of we can do this and we can help each other do this. And a lot of families can't, but we can because we will meet people where we are. And if we want our people, our young people especially, to meet God's people, we will help them get there. Carpool, help them go, buy a bus ticket, buy a plane ticket, do something. We can all do this. Well, you almost took totally my last point. That's what I was going to say. Uh, whenever I was being raised in Oregon, which is nowhere near the Bible Belt, uh, <laughs> the nearest congregations were a long ways away. And uh, I remember my parents, you know, Romans 9, 6, they are not all Israel who descend from Israel. And my mother used that verse totally out of context. <laughs> and... <laughs> and taught us that just because they were in the church didn't mean they were moral or anything else, that it was just as easy for them to be a problem as anything else. But the chance was better mm -hmm. than with, with some of the places that yeah. were available to us culturally at that point. Uh, my point is that we can do something as the church and as individuals. Mm -hmm. um, hospitality. We've alluded to that during the meeting. And my mom and dad never let us six kids ever stay very often over at other people's houses. But they told us we could have anybody that wanted to come to our house. Yeah. And bring your Bibles because we're going to have Bible reading before we go to bed. Mm -hmm. And that led to many uh, joyous things. Mom asking how many is in this room or that room for breakfast the next morning. My point is, is that as long as they were under their oversight, we got to know a lot of people and we learned the skills of making friends. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm trying to say is, is in a dry and weary land, we were taught that, as you said, the skills of making at least three new friends, mm -hmm. uh, doing out, our parents provided opportunities for us to have acquaintances and also to examine our friends. Yeah. And number two, the church provided those opportunities. Yeah. The only problem is, is our young people today look at dating as, I will go, I will take this person and get as far away from everybody as I can get. Yeah. And be alone and be separate. Mm -hmm. So I think churches and, and families need to provide areas where you can stay together. Promote those activities where kids can stay together. That is one thing that you can do as a family and as a church whenever you have things. Don't just say everybody go out and you know, provide those opportunities for them to be together and become more than just acquaintances. Mm -hmm. But those are things that we can actively do. Mm -hmm. And that's your last point. And that's yeah. exactly uh, I mean, my brothers and sisters, we knew people in the church. We married people that had spiritual ambitions. We did not assume that just because they were at a meeting, they were moral people. Yeah. And those principles, all working together, helped us to pick good friends. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're talking about, good acquaintances. Yeah. We should not marry those we're not friends with. Friendship comes first. Yeah. And so, anyway, I appreciate very much... Are all of these charts taken from that same book? No, they're taken from all over the place. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thank you for, for your um, thing. I will say that in a home, 
I'm just going to give you guys an example. Every Wednesday night, we have all the young people that are in college, all the single people over to our home for dinner. And we often have close to 15 or 20 young people come to our home every Wednesday night. And our intent is to intentionally do that yeah. for the purpose of providing an opportunity for them to get to know each other as friends. Yeah. Do you have any closing comments? Oh, of course. <laughs> Sorry, but yes, I want to go to the slide that I showed you just a minute ago. Whoops, whoops, whoops. Wrong, wrong, wrong one, wrong one. Okay, this one. There's the books that I alluded to, Dating with Integrity, Too Close, Too Soon, and James Orton I didn't quote from, but he has a lot of great stuff in Marriage in a Chaotic World. Finding the Love of Your Life is another one. And then the last one over here was a tract that was put together in the 1940s by my grandfather, Homer Gay. And he has a lot of good things there about uh, who, who, are, who are these young people and uh, a Christian boy should stop and ask these questions. Will this girl suit me when she is old? Will she help me bring the children up to be Christians or will she want them to go with her to the Methodist or some other sectarian Sunday school? Will she be willing to get by on my salary or is she used to spending far more money than I will have for her? A girl should also ask some questions. Will this young man work? How will he look in overalls? Okay, all right. Uh, can I love and adore him when he is old and broken? Is he interested in going to worship and will he help me to raise the children for the Lord? Or will he set before them an example of drinking, cursing, etc.? These are not just idle questions. They should be pondered well. Many homes have been wrecked, all because these questions have not been considered before marriage. He was raised a Baptist. And he met a young lady who took him to church. And he heard the gospel. And he obeyed it. And within the next Sunday, he was preaching Poorly, he said, but he never stopped till the day he died. And I look back in my family and I see someone that was willing to see someone with a good and honest heart and say, I'll be your friend. I think we can be friends to people who are not members of the church in our fellowship, not to be taken advantage of, but to help them see what godly people are in this life. We can do this. And so his advice from long ago was so the proper way, whoops, I, I, do, I blew that, didn't I? Uh, back, yeah. The proper way uh, to stop that is to never let it start. Just seek the proper kind of company. So there you go. Just seek the proper kind of company. And I might say, be the proper kind of company.